0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. And this week on the Roundup, we're gonna be answering three questions that we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days. Before we get into those questions today and our normal uh, welcome, I do wanna give uh, an incredible shout out to the literally dozens, if not hundreds, of you that have reached out over the last seven days since um, the awful events that unfolded on uh, UNLV's campus where I work uh, on February 6th. On, excuse me, on December 6th, um, three faculty members were killed, a fourth uh, critically injured, and our campus is, has been reeling. Uh, the darkest day in uh, UNLV's history so thank you all of you for reaching out over the last few days to express your support your condolences just uh, for those that i met last week uh, had to thankfully i was in uh, phoenix at RC, uh, the air conference last week with my tribe uh, and that's uh, a message that uh, i've been reinforcing since then that we need to all find our tribe uh, in in our profession those folks that you get that gets you that you know you can contribute to the greater good of that organization and our profession and hopefully you're all members of your own tribe hopefully you're part of my tribe as well because i i can tell you last week was rough uh... being away from campus uh, not being with my colleagues on campus to to grieve with them to go through this together it's hard i'm a remote employee i get out there once every quarter so it's been a real challenge and uh... i I had many, many moments last week where I was tearing up explaining a story that I'll share with you today. Um, my 13-year-old son, uh, had, I had the opportunity when I called him that night, video chatted with him to, to share, hey, I wanted to tell him this story about what had ha- just happened on campus today because that's, that's a big deal. And he needs to know about it. He's 13. He can handle it. Uh, I told him the story. He could tell I was getting pretty emotional. And at the end of that, uh, he, he asked, Dad, can I give you a hug? and it's that obviously chokes me up and melts my heart when i i I tell that story every time but the literally dozens if not hundreds of folks who've reached out through email through text through whatsapp through through in-person contact last week in in phoenix uh your your presence with me your understanding uh is 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 so much appreciated and uh i've shared that with my colleagues back on campus about how important it was for me to have that group of people that I was with last week to, to lean on in a, a very dark hour for our institution. So thanks all, all for being a part of that, that conversation who have reached out over the last few days. So let's get right into the questions of the day. As you know, may know, for those that are new to the Roundup, uh, we take our news stories from a newsletter that we put out every Monday on across our uh, social platforms. It's called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And that newsletter you can subscribe to on our if you prefer an email version of it you can subscribe to it on our website and i've dropped the link in the chat but uh, for those who are listening to the audio only podcast uh, the website link is smieconsulting.org slash subscribe and then you'll be able to uh, drop in your details in the subscribe link to uh, get that email if you want it in your inbox every monday at 9 a.m eastern If you prefer LinkedIn as your main news source for international education, uh, there is a LinkedIn version of that newsletter and I'll also be dropping the link to that in the chat as well. So it's a, it's a newsletter that I've really, uh, I'm very grateful for the response. And every time I go to a conference, I always have folks come up to me and say, thank you for your newsletter. Thank you for your live chats. They really mean a lot. Uh, they re- That's my go-to uh, a place for uh, news on international education. And that just means the world. And uh, I appreciate those of you who have taken the time to to subscribe either on LinkedIn or through the email version. We now have almost 1,600 subscribers across both versions. So I'm very pleased uh, that uh, so many folks in our industry are getting this news every week. And these are uh, these are top social media stories that impact international education and how we recruit, and webinars coming up, AI conversations, all of those kind of tech digital things that we, we, we deal with every day in our jobs. And then a set of news stories on uh, what are the top-line news uh, in the United States uh, impacting international education, solutions that I see Run, coming up through the, to the surface through some of these news stories, and then a global roundup through major destination markets on uh, how they are grappling with various international education issues. So that's the newsletter version uh, that you get on Mondays. Uh, here on Wednesdays, we take a look at those news stories and find what the th- common themes are that we had develop in, the, in those uh, articles that we, pu- we publish out, uh, and we come up with the questions or themes that we use here today on uh, the live chats. And we know most folks aren't able to do the live chats because we're all busy people. I've been there, I've done that, I'm doing that. So I, uh, that's why we make, make sure it's archived on our YouTube channel. Uh, and as well, uh, if you want the video version, as well as an audio-only podcast that we're pleased to say has over 3,100 downloads. So uh, very proud of, uh, of what we've been able to accomplish uh, through our, our, our work here on the Roundup and on the newsletter. So let's get right into our three questions of the day. Uh, first up is how is Education USA supporting international education efforts? Now for those who've known me for more than a minute, you know I am always a big cheerleader for Education USA. I worked for them for six and a half years in DC as the first marketing coordinator for the network, uh, developed the websites, that uh, content that you have today. Uh, we uh, d- started all the Ed USA social media channels on the, nas- on the global scale back in 2009. Uh, we developed uh, the uh, F- your five steps to U.S. study during my time at Education USA, working at IIE, and one of the things I'm most proud of through my time at uh, Education USA for the higher ed folks is the development of what we called not only the EdUSA Forum, the in-person event that Edu- Education USA now hosts annually, uh, other than when NAPS is in DC. Uh, in DC, uh, is the egg. Uh, that's what we com- we uh, we can com- we we came up with our that was our acronym that we uh, we used to describe the egg, uh, and the egg is the Education USA Global Guide, uh, and this is something we began back in 2010. Uh, at the same time, we launched the first Education USA Forum uh, in DC back in 2010. Uh, we're in a hotel basement. Uh, we we were I think we got a couple hundred people. We were we were really excited about that. Uh, But one of the things we wanted to have and give to attendees that could be a great resource for them was what we uh, affectionately called the Egg Education USA, a Global Guide. Um, When we talk about resources for uh, U.S. higher education uh, folks that are in the student recruitment side of the shop on international ed, uh, this is what when I when I first came up with this idea and we proposed it to the state and and we developed the content for it, I wanted this to be something um, that was complementary to Open Doors. Uh, we I we, I talked uh, wrote a blog about it. You know, some might have seen in the newsletter last week uh, about comparing SEVIS uh, by the numbers data, which is current year real time data from October versus the Open Doors report. That is the previous year's academic academic data from uh, internet of international students that was released in November. So we t- there was a blog about that. But I I've always seen Open Doors as a as an an essential resource for understanding the trends uh, that have been happening uh, in student flows to the United States, uh, the academic programs, uh, primary sources of funding of students, uh, where they're coming from obviously in the world and charting that over time, And recently they've added in, in the last six or seven years, they've added in the new international student enrollments from the previous academic year as well, uh, which has added another layer to the important data that we need to track, which uh, we saw during the pandemic was um, uh, took some some significant uh, dents. But they've also added in their fall snapshot survey to try and get some kind of a snapshot of what's happening in the current year current fall term right before they release the open doors from the previous academic year's data so they uh, it really is important data to have and a resource that you want to have i've always called it kind sort of if you're looking at resources for uh for international student recruitment planning the open doors report is kind of one uh, and and number two, I think more it's less interpretive uh, in terms of what it gives you, but the SEVIS by the numbers is probably number two but uh, on that list. but 1a is what we tried to do with the egg back in 2010 and that's to provide, the context of what's happening on the ground in the in the six uh, State Department world regions and in specific countries that would are highlighted for obvious reasons because they're major centers to the U.S. You find the kind of details about what social media strategies or, or platforms are working in those countries, uh, what the top best suggestions are for in-person recruitment versus digital recruitment. Uh, it really gives you the layers of data analysis of what's happening in each region uh, within uh, education USA network so you can have a sense of well is this the right strategy here or do I need to shift gears and, and maybe do something different in, in another region so I think there's all, all sorts of value uh, with the egg it's developed and and to be honest with you the content that's created each year comes from the reacts uh, or now they uh, reacts have Done what has done and what Airsi just did last week. They their nickname, their acronym now stands for nothing. <laughs> so Re- Reacts are now React colon Regional Manager. So the Reacts do all the hard work for the Egg. Frankly, uh, the Egg is. Uh, and that's a shout out to my my colleagues on the React side that I know and love deeply. Uh, had a great opportunity to run into Melissa Deschamps uh, in the Middle East, uh, based in Qatar, and uh, Lisa Moroni based in Kenya. Uh, at ARC last week, It was great to see them both. But my regional manager friends in Education USA, uh, the Reacts do all the legwork for for writing the content for that uh, for the egg each year and in, in those regional sections. Uh, the, obviously, the team at IIE and DC compiles all the uh, analysis from all the data from the website, from social media, to to kind of provide the USR Ed audiences uh, a really solid piece of contextual data and analysis by the REACs and trend data, on what's happening on the ground from their advising centers. Uh, So you have a good sense as a U.S. higher ed rep, what uh, is uh, happening in each of the regions and markets that you're uh, looking to to get more active in or engage less in, depending on where you are in the world. So the ag has become, uh, over the now- 13, 14 years that it's been around, a really essential complement to Open Doors. And I'm really happy to see that going strong. They just released it, the 2023 edition, this past week. Normally it's released during the Forum edUSA forum in the summer, but uh, obviously they didn't have one, so uh, that got pushed back a bit. But uh, the the forum uh, is... Uh, or excuse me, the the egg has really become that kind of go-to resource if you're looking for the really what's happening on the ground in particular key markets uh, from an education USA perspective. And I've dropped the links to the actual PDF of the global guide uh, that's online, as well as the master site for uh, past years' global guides. So hopefully, you get a chance to download your copy. Uh, the other resource that I think is very important. Um, Education USA when we first started I I started working there in November 2008 uh, there wasn't really con- uh, an organized higher ed outreach other than uh, reacts and advisors, doing campus visits, and there was a a team at um, State Department that selected the advisors to go on trainings and visit visit campuses before they went to major conferences. But there really wasn't a coordinated approach to higher ed outreach, and we started doing uh, attending on myself and others uh, from my from IE would attend the regional conferences at NAFSA regularly. I know advisors have done that and RICS have done that for years but we provided that kind of support mechanism to enable uh, all, the, all the travel, all the all the uh, goodies that we needed to have at the conferences to have much more intentional presence at all the major uh, international ed conferences throughout the year, as well as the other associations that have significant pieces of their of their membership that are involved in international. So we we set up real strong structures in place and started doing outreach. I was, uh, since I had a background in um, in social media, I was working with our advisors to teach them how to use social media to reach not only their students in their countries but also to reach higher ed folks. I started working with um, uh, with the state consortium uh, in different country, in different states around the country uh, since I had been involved in Indiana with Destination Indiana and I went to at least a dozen states in the course of my four or five years where that was a priority uh, visiting with them helping them uh, get uh, understanding their needs seeing how Education USA can help and how we can promote their events through our network so there was some real collaboration happening as a result of that on, uh, connected uh, institutions in the united states directly with our uh Ed usa advisors and reacts out in the field so we, we that was that was back in early late noughties early early teens but since then uh the team in, in at iie in dc along with the state department program officers and reacts and uh, all have become much more uh intentional about with the services that they're providing. And one document that I just dropped in the chat is that they have a newsletter that comes out monthly. Uh, they just released a new document as part of that uh, newsletter called U.S. Higher Education Resources, and it's not the flashiest of documents, and that's fine. But it does give the content that really helps you understand where EdUSA is in, as a, as an organization, as a part of the State Department, and what its uh, current mission and goals are, and how you how they are as an or, as a network providing services for uh, U.S. higher education institutions. Uh, they've had um, obviously I mentioned the global guide they've had their their fairs and forums regional forums as well as dc forums events around the world for for decades or at least two decades but now they have uh, also a new series they've had seminars for a while but they've also launched what they call education usa dialogues and th- these are aimed to broaden and deepen their outreach domestically uh, to the higher ed community, uh, focusing on two themes, uh, according to this document, increasing the number and broadening the diversity of US higher education hosting students, institutions hosting, HEIs hosting international students, and two, ensuring the quality and success of on-campus experiences for international students. So that second one is uh, is, is certainly uh, newer, Um, and this, that first point, though, I do want to come back to that because when I I always talk about perspective on what's happening in the wider world and how we are or are not uh, set up for success as a country uh, compared to our competition. Uh, we've long lamented the lack of uh, a national international education strategy in the United States. I'm going to talk more about that in the second question of the day, but uh, when we get to the U.S. for Success Coalition. Uh, but what um, Education USA has really done is uh shine a light with that with that shift uh in and I don't know if it's new, but it's it's certainly a shift in emphasis in terms of how they're talking about it uh, with this dialogue series, is that we have so much more capacity than the rest of other than potentially China, uh, so much more capacity to host international students than are our, our, our major competitors for these same students. You look at Canada. There are literally 400 post-secondary institutions. Most of them, more than two, half, 60 70%, are vocational colleges. Uh, there's 100 plus uh, college, actual university level uh, organizations as well. But they have almost over 800,000, maybe 900,000 international students at that few of a number of schools that's just unre- unsustainable to grow as much as they are. They are all 30-plus percent. Some of the private vocational colleges are up to 60%, 70%, maybe 90% in some cases. For, and those have, a couple of those have closed in recent years just because they're so heavily dependent and really were just uh, money-making machines for whoever those private uh, vocational college owners were rather than quality educational pursuits. So you now have a situation in Canada where of their eight hundred. Thousand plus international students. Over half are at vocational colleges uh, and the rest are at the university level. So they are chock a block full. There are, and, and you look at the institutions in uh, British Columbia, in Ontario, in Quebec, they are the three major uh, provinces that see the major- greater majority of international students, probably 80% or more. And they are. At capacity, if not a surpass capacity, and the Canadian government is now ratcheting back. They're talking about caps. They're talking about they've in just now increased the number, the amount every international student has to have to show to get a study permit. It went from only ten thousand dollars, regardless of how much the institution costs. For goodness sakes, you wonder why there's been so many issues with uh, students uh, at food banks and and in and, and ten to an apartment. It's just unsustainable. Uh, they, they were they weren't really they never really had the money that they needed to, to, to succeed uh, but they've just raised it from 10,000 minimum up to 20,000 that'll get rid of some of the uh, less serious students hopefully and Canada's numbers will I think contract. Um, as you see in the UK we're going to talk more about them at the end but their, their government has really changed some major significant policies over the last few days uh, last few weeks and months and uh, maybe more on the horizon so they're looking at a potential contraction. we'll talk about why in a minute. But you also see in Australia, they're talking about net migration limits and reducing by half the number of, uh, net mi- uh, number of migrants they allow into the country and students are counted in those numbers as well. Uh, they're tightening up restrictions on work, on, uh, who, on the routes that students can take and the visa processing piece. So there's some major contraction about to happen in Canada, UK and Australia. And all three of those countries, they have minimum percentage of uh, international students on their campuses of at least twenty-five percent. That's an average across their their institutions. Some of them are upwards of forty, fifty, sixty percent international. In the UK, in in Australia, Australia has less than forty universities and, and probably another hundred or two hundred uh, vocational colleges where they do well too, like Canada but uh, they are at capacity. Uh, And when I say capacity, they're not 100% international in most cases, but what they are at capacity in is a, a tolerance amongst the public for more. Uh, and keep getting more and more and more uh, and that's happening and you see the the housing issues that have sprung up uh, certainly during the pandemic they became absolutely absolutely uh, devastating uh, co- topics on a lot of college campuses and in communities where these colleges are located but now those there's knock-on effects now where those housing issues that popped up during the pandemic are now really a real barrier to further growth in a lot of these key markets there's some there were UK universities saying don't come if you don't have housing already sorted before you get on the plane, uh, so that kind of kind of puts you off. So you wonder what the long-term sustainability of of some of these countries are. But in the U.S., we're only at five point five percent international amongst our entire higher education audience uh, population in the U.S. And granted. of the international students are probably at less than 10% of the universities uh, that can host international students. But there are so many more quality institutions that have capacity to grow. Uh, and that is across the board, not just in the the elite uh, elite universities in the United States. So I think Edge USA's shift to diversify where international students go is a is a is a solid one. And in terms of the outreach that they can do to U.S. higher education institutions that maybe are just starting the process or thinking about uh, becoming more international, what they need to build to get to a point where they can host regularly larger numbers of international students. That's the real challenge, but I'm glad to see Education USA moving in that direction. So, next up, a uh, related topic we talked about the uh, US for Success Coalition. Uh, I talked about it at the CAIE conference a couple last month, uh, where um, we had Fanta A as one of our um, uh, plenary uh, speakers uh, in a conversation with someone from. Uh, uh, Center for International Higher Education at Boston College, uh, talking through uh, what the what the coalition's mission is, and I, asked, I had the opportunity to ask Fonta a question about that, and it's become clear that they're they're trying to do things differently uh, than what had traditionally been the roles of advocacy efforts that NAFSA did separately, that the President's Alliance did separately, that the Alliance for International Exchange did separately. There wasn't a lot of coordination amongst those three. Those are the, probably the three biggest ones and I'll put an in international ACAC NACAC in there that had some advocacy work on the Hill where uh, where they really spent time uh, visiting with the uh, the elected representatives, giving them their their spiel about why that we needed their support for for what had been in the 80s and 90s a white hat international white hat issue on Congress, and that means it's a, a very much a bipartisan issue, and it is to certain extent in terms of the funding that's uh, there's always funding battles, but they usually come, have come up out on top in terms of pro becoming or being pro international education. But previous administration threw a lot of uh, threw a lot of uh, ashes onto a, a fire that uh, has sparked and with uh, particularly with res- respect to China, with Muslim nations, and the uh, previous administration's uh, first executive orders. So there's there's been a lot of uh, turmoil in, in the industry, frankly, about. Does the U.S. really want international students? At least politically, uh, there's 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 growing concerns in certain parts of extremes on on, on the right uh, that uh, saying that international students, oh well, we're taking jobs away from Americans, and that's not the case at all. Americans aren't co- being trained in, in in numbers high enough to fill those jobs uh, that these international students and immigrants are that come to the U.S. are filling. So. Uh, that's a whole long conversation about this, but the U.S. for Success Coalition, uh, the question is, are they going to move the needle on when it comes to the move primarily towards a more welcoming country and more welcoming policies and to eventually towards a national strategy for international education? Kind of what the... Uh, education USA Forum two years ago announced uh, the joint statement of in support of international education. Uh, this was a cross department, uh, intra departmental or in- interdepartmental approach in- involving State Department, uh, Commerce, uh, Homeland Security, and Education. Probably want to include in the future Department of Labor in there when when we're talking about developing coherent policies that tie can tie students into direct pathways to becoming uh, uh w- employees and workers uh, after they finish their studies and eventually permanent residents and citizens so long journeys obviously that um, I went on when I was I came to the US almost 50 years ago as a 5 year old I was an L2 intercompany transfer dependent uh, I didn't become a citizen until from five, age five till right before my 18th birthday. It took me that long to become a, a naturalized U.S. citizen. So uh, the, the goal, one of the goals of the coalition is in developing this international-led strategy is having components of that strategy that make the U.S. more welcoming, more transparent, and more clear-cut routes that uh, students can rely on and families can rely on that might be looking to come here for study and then an eventual uh, residency. Uh, that process is very complicated. The um, the success coalition really is a it's a first time to really gain momentum behind this kind of national strategy in developing the pieces that we need, and part of that is it's 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 not going to happen. all the way from the ground up, it, it needs to happen from top down, there has to be White House buy-in in order to, for it to be effective because all the this joint statement on principles supporting international education did is it fire, lit a fire under each of the departments, state, commerce, homeland security, education, to establish kind of working groups to talk about how they can be improving what they do to improve a welcoming, uh, to provide a more welcoming environment for, US, uh, for international students bound for the U.S. What's ended up happening is they all do their own things on the, in their own departments, but there's no mandates from from the top to say you need to work together and develop new policies, do new procedures, uh, advocate for, for legislation. And that's really the piece that I think and hope is is the real missing piece that we, we need to move forward with a national policy, is that it has to be legislation that uh, – does things that stamps uh, green cards uh, onto PhD graduates uh, that allows for the F1 status to be considered dual intent so that they don't need to prove a negative when they go for their visa interview, uh, that they're not planning to become an immigrant to the U.S. uh, at age 18. Who does that? Um, And it's it's, uh, to have that plan for their life at, at the time they go for their visa interview, that they have to be able to convince that officer that they're not planning to, uh, to stay in the U.S. once they get here. These are the things that um, this coalition, I think, can help advocate for the, uh, the a couple of those things I just mentioned, the P, uh, green cards for PhD grads, to streamline that process uh, to uh, make the pathways much clearer for those that want to stay and work in longer term beyond OPT uh, and potentially H-1B. What can this coalition do? Uh, one of the things they have done is they've just uh, addressed uh, to DHS a series of recommendations uh, to uh, DHS to improve uh, the, what they call concrete replica, re, concrete concrete. Rep- Recommendations uh, that uh, the uh, Jill Ann Murray, who's a D- deputy executive director of public policy at NAFSA, uh that uh, they had uh, discussions with the DHS uh, working group there, uh, and launched that uh, launched these recommendations to them to uh, make clear uh, what's needed to happen as uh, we move towards an international education strategy for the United States. So it's a it's a first step. It's not the end step and it's a long road ahead, but it's certainly one that was much needed. And uh, the challenge will be uh, this is a conversation that they're having with DHS, uh, that that these recommendations are specifically for that, that they are going to be similar ones for state, there's going to be similar ones for commerce, similar ones for education, maybe for labor as well. But the real significant movement that needs to happen won't happen until there's White House level support and political capital spent on the kinds of legislative changes to our system, which have been bogged down in committees and get th- the real changes we need get thrown into bills. But then they get part of the, become part of these omnibus bill omnibus bills that get hacked to pieces and really never see the light of day. So uh, we've needed urgently immigration reform for over. Almost forty years now in the United States since the '80s, when we last had a really significant change, uh, we've painted around the edges a little bit, but we've not addressed the the bigger picture, uh, and that's something that this national strategy needs to be a, 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 needs to have as part of its uh, part of the legislative change that needs to happen to really see, I think, land landscape changing, game changing. M- seismic shifts in our policies in the United States towards international students and international education in general. So it's a long road ahead, but it's certainly one that I think uh, we're going to see hopefully some positive signs. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the U.S. for Success Coalition and hopefully uh, eventually get White House-level support for something and political capital spent uh, to make uh, the real change that we need happen. And the final question I'll touch on briefly today is, is the U.S. international student gravy train about to end? And, oh, my goodness, uh, can I tell you what? This last week, in terms of the news stories, uh, having uh, been at an International Ed Conference where we had a number of uh, British colleagues that were uh, presenting and having uh, conversations about this, they are worried. They are really worried uh, for the short term. Uh, they were already dealing with the... Uh, the um, the uh, elimination of the dependent visa for non-doctoral students are coming to the UK uh, that expires at the end of December this year. So, no new uh, international students with dependents will be allowed into the country after uh, December 31st. If you're not a doctoral student, uh, that impacts two of the UK's top markets for postgrad studies. Uh, that would be Nigeria and India, and they are already going to already starting to see significant. Uh, damage to uh, to their numbers. Uh, then you have to add insult to injury to that. Uh, we now see the Home Secretary, the new Home Secretary, uh, who took over for Suella Braverman. Uh, the new Home Secretary, uh, cleverly is now proposing a potential review of the graduate route. Now, for those who aren't aware, the graduate route is the UK's version of OPT. Uh, and they have, from um, 2012, it was eliminated uh, under the Cameron uh, PM ship, uh, David Cameron, who oddly enough is now back in the fold in the cabinet as the education minister. Uh, so uh, we uh, that was eliminated in 2011-12, and now it was reinstated about three or four years ago, uh, right before the pandemic, and that has been allowed uh, international students to uh, uh, switch over to work visas right away after they finish their studies. That might be going away or be severely curtailed. So there's a lot of lot of worried faces. Uh, they won't they put on a brave face as, as the brits always do uh in in terms of uh, their public personas they're always talking positively oh yes the uh the quality of uh, brand uk is, is solid and there's no doubt doubt in terms of that and uh, services provided they've improved blah 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 but the reality is these changes that the government has made to curb net mig- migration uh to um, Address the the challenges with housing and with uh, NHS, uh, their health service in the UK, uh, the, being stretched to the limits by all these extra international students and their family members is is a real has real negative long term consequences for prospective students looking at the UK, particularly for postgrads, master's level studies. So that's uh, that gravy train could be ending, at least for the short term and to the next couple of years, but any changes and the changes that is most likely to happen will come with elections that uh, may be called by the end of 2024 maybe sooner Uh, and if that happens the the general uh, opinion is that the conservatives will be out and the labor hopefully or liberal democrats will be in one of the two Uh, maybe a coalition depending on how the numbers shake out but that those those other other uh, other parties that might take over would have a much more sympathetic view to international education so we'll see but for the short term uh, the uk will uh, numbers in one of the one of the articles i posted a couple of them actually have some data from uh, enrollee which handles a lot of the visa processing for uh, data for the UK universities. They're showing 40, 50, 60 percent drops in, in deposits and uh, confirmed students coming in January. So there's some real damage about to be done in the UK. So we'll see how long that lasts for them. Hopefully not too long for my colleagues across the pond. That's all we have for you today on the Midweek Roundup. Thank you all for your, your well wishes about UNLV Strong. Uh, we're so um we so appreciate all the support we've been getting. We're about to have a, a memorial on campus today for the, um, for the three faculty who were killed, and we appreciate your continued thoughts and prayers for uh, the healing that needs to happen on our campus. So until next time, have a great day.